this show is part of the Goblin Podcast Network, mate. You probably knew that, though. This is the Escapist, the gaming advocacy podcast. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America and all the ships at sea. This is Bill, your host, for the second episode of the Escapist Cast for the week of April 20th, 2008. We're going to call this episode Troops and Troops. That's troops with two O's, as in military personnel, and troops with an O-U and an E on the end, as in acting troops. And why would I do such a confusing thing? Well, I'll tell you, the first troops is because this episode will be focusing on gamers in the military and gaming in the military. And the second troops, the acting troops, is because this episode was delayed somewhat because I have gotten involved in a local theater's production of The Sound of Music. I painted some sets for them and I am performing in the orchestra. I'm playing guitar and mandolin for the band. And why am I even bringing that up other than the fact that it held up the episode? Because I'd like to encourage all gamers to give their local theater a try. It's a fantastic experience. It's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. Uh, It's great to entertain people. And you will meet lots of great and very creative people. A lot of them will be gamers. And those that aren't might someday be gamers. You might be able to convert a few while you're there. So definitely get involved in your local theater if you have the opportunity and the inclination. i got a whole lot of news to read. In fact, I'm probably not going to get to all of it. I'll probably have to save some for the next episode. And then in our second segment, we're going to talk about gaming and gamers in the military. We'll be back right after the break. The Escapist cast will return after this message. Can I help you? Uh, yes. My boyfriend and I are interested in getting into this gaming thing I've been hearing about, but I'm not sure where to start. Uh, you gonna buy something? Well, we were wondering what would be good to try. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, this isn't much help. We We can can help? help? Man, that was cheesy. Who Who are you? I'm Mark. I'm Chris. And I'm Carol from the All Games Considered Podcast. We'll tell you about all sorts of hobby games, old and new. We'll show you some free or cheap games to help you save money as you try things out. And we'll give you a window into the gamer lifestyle. What the... wait, lifestyle? Hey, it's not PC Solitaire. Um, yeah, you gonna buy something? What can you give us for a wooden nickel? Well, uh, I got some old Mage Knight boosters. The All Games Considered Podcast. Proud member of the Goblin Gaming Broadcast Network. Find more information, show downloads, feeds, and other important links at allgamesconsidered.blogspot.com. Okay, on to RPG advocacy news. Uh, The first item I've got on my list is another loss to the gaming community. Um, Another 
passing of one of the greats of old school gaming. Bob Bledsaw was his name. He died of cancer on April 19th, 2008. He was the founder of Judges Guild, which was a little outfit that was founded in 1976 that published supplemental material for Dungeons & Dragons, as well as other games. Uh, They are probably best known for a supplement called The City-State of the Invincible Overlord, which was actually the first published RPG city supplement ever, even before anything official had come out from TSR themselves. Uh, He will be greatly missed. There's been a lot of D&D coverage in in the mainstream media, most of it on the transition to the new edition, uh, the fourth edition of D&D, and its electronic counterpart. A lot of speculation as to how popular this will be and how well it will work out. And even here and there, the occasional comment from someone who used to play and is finally admitting it to the public. There's an article in the Evening Tribune, a New York newspaper, Zombies vs. Humans Causes Campus Lockdown a game of the Zombies vs. Humans LARP that is very popular in a lot of college campuses, caused a campus lockdown at Alfred University in Alfred, New York, when a student playing the game was spotted with a Nerf gun. Uh, You can find more details about that story in the show notes. On Wired, there was a great article on the history of and new edition of Shadowrun called Look to the Future and See Orcs. And again, you can find out more about that in the show notes. And another Wired article, Living Lord of the Rings. And this is from the article. For over a decade, a growing number of people have gathered at a Girl Scout camp in the New Jersey woods to play at being elves, dwarves, and goblins for the weekend. The group called Lair, or Live Action Interactive Role-Playing Explorers, is one of hundreds devoted to live action role-playing or LARPing. So give that one a look. It gives a pretty good idea to the uninitiated of what happens in a LARP. I'm a little late on this one. A mile-wide asteroid in our solar system has been officially named Stackpole after Michael Stackpole, who is the author, of course, of The Pulling Report and an active RPG advocate. From what I've heard, he also writes a novel every now and then. Maybe you've read one or two of them, I think. A couple Star Wars ones here and there. And uh, you can find a link to that in the show notes as well. It's directly from Michael A. Stackpole's website. On Philly.com, there was an article on Stephen Colbert's appearance in Philadelphia and he t- where he talks about his introduction to sci-fi and RPGs, and this is directly from the article. Colbert's love of role-playing grew in part out of tragedy. When he was 10, his father James and brothers Peter and Paul, who were closest to him in age, were killed in a plane crash. Coming back from the funeral, I picked up my first science fiction book and I was hooked, he recalls. I will admit, Doctor, that I was trying to escape from something, and I did it. He became a big fan of J.R.R. Tolkien and the role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, of which he says, I'm not sure if it made me an improviser, but it helped. You're incredibly free in there. Uh, Getting back to Wired Magazine, they did an article where they rolled celebrities up as D&D characters, which was a nice try and sort sort of came close to being funny. For example, Paris Hilton is an actress, although we're not told what level she is. She's a chaotic neutral human. She has a strength of 9, intelligence of 9, wisdom of 8, constitution of 10, dexterity of 14, and a charisma of 18. Her special abilities are wriggling out of jail time for DUI charges, washing cars in an entertaining manner. 
Mr. T got a level 9 fighter, level 7 barbarian. His strength's 18, intelligence 8, wisdom 12, constitution 16, dexterity 12, charisma 12. His special abilities are Pity the Fool. There is no save and is not subject to spell resistance. The effect is 4 die 6 subdual damage and permanent pity. Language is known English and Jibba Jabba. Uh, I really think that Mr. T has an, a higher intelligence than Paris Hilton, but that's just my opinion. Uh, you can also see Richard Dawkins, George W. Bush, Ron Paul, Steve Jobs, Dean Kamen, Stephen Hawking, and Rick Astley done up as D&D characters. From ArsTechnica.com comes this story about an Arizona bill that says content makers are liable for violence. And this is directly from the article. A bill currently under consideration in the Arizona State Legislature would impose liability on persons who produce or distribute dangerous or obscene content, including audio, video, interactive media, and even written content that is found to be the material cause of a terrorist act or felony. The broadly worded proposal is viewed with serious concern by movie producers and video game developers who fear that it will be abused. And of course, if something does like that does go through, you can almost guarantee that it will be. There is an update in the article. The Arizona Republic reports that the bill has been rejected by the Arizona Senate Judiciary Committee on a 4-2 vote. Bill sponsor Representative Ward Nichols promises he'll try again next year. Anything of this magnitude, anything that, that covers obscenity and and possible terroristic inspiration is very, very easy to connect to role-playing games as well. So these are the sorts of things we like to keep our eye on. There was a great FARC headline to an article. Level 4 shopkeeper armed with a long pole fights off a level 3 thief armed with a crossbow. Uh, A couple more articles I'd like to mention. You can find links in the show notes, but I don't have a lot lot of time to cover them. Uh, The Syracuse New Times... Uh, published an article called World According to LARP about some LARPers and a great article on real life role players this is a story on military simulations that are set up by Strategic Operations which is a company that, that provides movie quality special effects sets and actors for military training exercises which sort of even ties in with our theme today of, of role playing in the military I'll just read a quick bit from that. The training conducted inside a converted tomato packing plant features a simulated Iraqi village where troops experience sniper attacks, bomb blasts, and rocket-propelled grenade assaults. The brick walls look real, the faux marketplace mirrors a typical Iraqi bazaar, and even the musty air evokes memories of Iraq, according to Marines who've been there. And finally... I pick this one up from the RPG Podcasters group, uh, discussion group, and I don't have exact confirmation on it yet, but according to the story I read, the television show Wife Swap is looking for role players. This is from the press release that I read on the RPG Podcasters group. Uh, Specifically, I'm looking for families whose lives have been transformed by the world of RPG. If your family loves spending time together by playing fantasy roleplay, I want to hear from you. Now, there's no specification if they're looking for people who are playing World of Warcraft, or if they're looking for people who play tabletop D&D, or tabletop RPGs, or if they're looking for LARPers. Uh, It's not made clear 
and I'm still not 100% sure that this is legitimate. I have gone to the website and I did not see anything specific about this. But if it is real, if it is true, and they really are looking for gamers, I don't see this ending well. WifeSwap is notorious for their creative editing, for making things out to be not what they are when it comes down to the final uh, episode. In fact, if you'd like more information on that, I recommend you check out uh, Reginald Finley's experience. If you Google him and look for his episode of Wife, Wife Swap and see what they changed and what they did and what they manipulated to make the show a lot better, quote unquote, than uh, it happened in real life. Um, I don't think that this would end very well. And in fact, to quote somebody on the RPG Podcasters group, this can only end in stupid. And that about wraps it up for advocacy news for this episode. I'll be back after the break and we'll start talking about gaming in the military. Studies show that a healthy dose of Orcasville can cure mortals of several forms of intestinal parasites, including the one which makes players into rules lawyers. Orcasville is also known to cure hysterical blindness and headaches resulting from thrown dice. There are no known unpleasant side effects to reading Orcasville other than hives. Orcasville will probably give you hives. Plus five hives. No, not hive fives. Those are different. www.orcasville.com Come and enjoy the life of our Dreadlord Orcus and his friends. <laughs> Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Okay, games and gamers in the military is our topic for this episode. And I'm sure maybe a few of you may be wondering why I chose this particular topic. I've done so to raise awareness, maybe let a few people in the military know what a great activity role-playing is for service people in their spare time. Also, to let civilians know that our service people do need gaming supplies. There are gamers in the military that are overseas that don't get to play. They don't get to participate in their favorite activity while they're out serving their country. And I've also got a couple special links to share with you regarding specifically gaming in the military. First off, a short discussion about the benefits of gaming for military personnel. It's a great social activity a great relaxing activity for soldiers, sailors, marines, what have you. It's portable. It's easy to carry around. All you really need is some, you know, some rule books, some pencils, paper, and, and dice. It's a cooperative instead of a competitive activity. And it's something that just about everybody can enjoy. And it's also a very good escape from the stresses of daily military life, especially for people who are stationed overseas. There is an article on The Escapist. It's an old article. It'll be 10 years old next year. Uh, it's titled, Role-Playing Relaxes Sailors, and it was reprinted on my site with permission from The Eagle, the shipboard newspaper for the USS Carl Vinson. 
Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes, but you can also visit that if you like at theescapist.com slash sailors.htm. Uh, it's a great article for the uninitiated on what D&D is, what the activity entails, and how much fun the sailors have playing D&D on their ship. I have heard rumor, and this is totally unconfirmed, but I've heard people say, people who were in the Navy, that during the 80s and maybe even part of the 90s, there was not a single large ship in the Navy that didn't have some sort of gaming group, even sometimes more than one gaming group uh, on the ship. So gaming is very popular among naval personnel. While working on this episode, I put some feelers out, if you will, asked on a few RPG forums to speak to some active and retired military personnel who are also gamers about their experiences with gaming in the military. And I got to speak to two of them. Uh, first was Mike Valencourt, who is also an art director and illustrator for Wildfire. They publish Cthulhu Tech. He tells me that he was an aviation electrician's mate, and he was attached to the expeditionary unit at Naval Air Station Whitby Island. Now, Mike didn't get really get to do very much gaming himself during his service, but he did work heavily on art for Cthulhu Tech. And his comment to me was, Since my free time was spent working on an RPG, it helped me to not focus on the fact that my wife and all my friends and family were thousands of miles away, and I wasn't going to see them for four months or more. I also spoke to Dave McAllister, who was stationed with the Royal Air Force. And his message to me says a lot about the kind of support you can expect from your superiors when trying to start a gaming club. It's kind of a long message, but I would like to read it all because it's all very good. When I first joined the RAF during basic and trade training, there wasn't time to game, as you'd imagine. And at my first unit, I couldn't find any other gamers. However, my superiors were pretty supportive, including one who interviewed me for the station magazine about the hobby. Eventually, a few other gamers got posted to the unit, and we had a good group, only about six of us, though. And again, our superiors were supportive. They gave us a room that we could use as a venue, and helped us when we organized charity events. It was around that time that I found out about the RAF War Games Association, which had a role-playing element, and through that, I got to meet lots of other gamers in the military, not just the RAF, but also the Army and Navy, and even some U.S. Air Force personnel stationed over here. I found that there were a lot of gaming groups in the RAF, although I didn't know exact numbers. And every time I got posted, I found one at my new unit. Over the years, I played a bit of everything, really. It was mainly AD&D 2nd Edition, and then D&D 3rd Edition when that was released, but mixed with other games, such as Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Top Secret SI, and Star Wars, both D6 and D20 versions. The biggest group I was a member of had, at its height, around 20 members, but there were also ex-military and civilian members of that group. The biggest all-military group I was a member of had six military personnel. Overall, because I got involved in the organization of the RAF War Games Association and charity events, my superiors were very supportive. The RAF likes its personnel to become involved in the wider service and civilian community, and assisted me as much as possible. My biggest problem were my non-gaming peers, but don't we all have that issue? That said, while serving on deployments overseas, most notably the Falkland Islands and the South Atlantic, I was lucky enough not to be deployed to the Gulf. I introduced a small number of people to role-playing games, at least for the duration of their deployment, if nothing more. It was a way to pass our free time that didn't involve the usual monotony of going out drinking, 
and as I already had my books and dice, didn't cost them anything. Gaming during my service career gave me the confidence and enthusiasm to do more for the wider community, both gaming and non-gaming, and so I have organized a number of charity conventions and set up a couple of gaming websites. It also provided me with experience of the UK military that I was able to utilize for a freelancing writing job. And here Dave gives me some links to his projects, uh, Modus Operandi, UK Role Players, and World Militaries, which he is, as a, a supplement, he's published by uh, AEG. And I'll have links to all those in the show notes. A really great letter there. Uh, lots of comments about the benefits of role-playing in the military and the support you can get from your superiors. There are a few projects, a few organizations in the military that relate directly to the role-playing hobby. Um, the first that comes to mind is the Baghdad Hobby Club. That's a charity that helps put hobby supplies into the hands of military personnel, not just role-playing, but wargaming and model building and all manner of other hobbies. But you can connect with them if you're in the military and you would like to get your hands on some gaming books and game dice. I'll have a link to them in the show notes. There was a convention, Ziggurat Con was the name of it, held last year. Uh, I believe it was last May or June. I don't have the exact date in front of me. It was organized by SBC David Amberson. Um, and that was possibly the first gaming convention held in Iraq. Uh, there were a lot of donations collected for it. And from what I understand, the response was very good. Uh, the, the convention went off without a hitch, and everybody had a great time. I attempted to contact um, Amberson about a possible Ziggurat Con for this year, and his email bounced, and I have not been able to get in touch with him. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, doesn't mean something bad. I'm hoping it means something good instead. But I've asked around a bit, and I haven't heard anybody yet who's heard anything about a new Ziggurat Con. While I was putting this episode together, I happened upon another project, militarygameday.com. This is being put together by someone who contacted Wizards of the Coast about possibly hosting some D&D game day events in the military. And from what they tell on that website, the response from Wizards was phenomenal. And now they are charged with organizing as many D&D game days in the military as possible. And Wizards will be sending them materials and, and all sorts of supplies to help that happen. So that's fantastic. There will be D&D uh, game days all over the world this year. And that about does it for the segment on gaming in the military. If I've left something out, if there's something I don't know about or I haven't mentioned here, or if you are a gamer who is in the military, you'd like to add your comments, you can always feel free to contact me at rpgadvocate at gmail.com. I'll be happy to hear from you and read your email on the show. That about does it for this episode. We're going to take another break. And then we'll wrap this sucker up. The Gamer Traveler podcast combines gaming and travel all in one. In each episode, we feature a location around the world, learn about its history and travel appeal, and then find ways to use it in your games. We also have sound scene tours and interviews with other gamer travelers. Learn more by visiting thegamertraveler.com where you can see the show notes and post in the forums. The Gamer Traveler Podcast. <laughs>
because our world is the best campaign setting. TheGamerTraveler.com Well, that does it for this episode of The Escapist Cast. I'd like to thank Mike Valancourt, Dave McAllister, and all service people everywhere, gamer or otherwise, for serving your country and protecting freedom. Be sure to visit The Escapist at www.theescapist.com for all of your gaming advocacy needs. You can go there, sign the guest book, stick a pen in the Frapper map, join the Facebook group, and browse the site for ideas on how you can participate. Suggestions, tips, questions, comments, criticisms, and zesty meatloaf recipes can be sent to me, Bill, at rpgadvocate at gmail.com. And, you know, send me an email. Let me know what you think of the show. I haven't gotten any yet. I'd love to read some on the air. The Escapist Cast is brought to you through your generous donations. What's that? You haven't donated? Well, you can do so by going on the page and clicking the PayPal link. All donated funds go to help with hosting and bandwidth of the site and are greatly appreciated. Music for this show is graciously provided by the phenomenally talented Nate Trier. You can always visit his site at triermusic.com. That's T-R-I-E-R music.com. You can also check out Mindscape Music, where he sells his really cool adventure idea and music packages. You can visit that at myspace.com slash Mindscape Music. The Escapist Cast is released through a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, I can't get no satisfaction, license 3.0. That does it for episode two of The Escapist Cast. Keep your dice dry, tip the pizza guy, and take a kid gaming. You can't possibly be any worse than Bill. Hey!